From the weekly Blink, I'm Jaden Maroon. This is Blink 2.0. What's happening with the murders and discrimination right now in Atlanta? And is this a start of something like the Black Lives Matter protests or just another hate crime we'll pass on? Today, on Blink 2.0, we'll cover the news in the usual three sections. The main event of the week, and then, at the end, everything else you need to know, as well as the COVID situation. For now, we'll be speaking about how and why it is so difficult to classify the growing violence against Asian Americans, and whether the US legal and governmental department is still up to date with the reality of the situation happening. It's Sunday, March 21st. What a week it has been. First off, with uh, what's happening in Atlanta, I mean, really terrible. This type of, or really this level of violence, is slowly becoming more and more usual in the country. And we see these sort of things happen more often. I mean, just a few months ago, we were having the Black Lives Matter protests, which to this point have not ended, and rightfully so. But seeing this news was just, I mean, just devastating, and my deepest condolences go to the victims' respective families. It was really just just a shock to all people. Almost every single newspaper wrote about it. Social media went, I mean, social media went crazy over the whole thing which was exactly the type of response we expected. Anyone right now who's Asian-American gets this feeling of, of dread, or like they're under attack. And this is with almost every person of Asian descent that I've talked to. It really just shook everyone to a point where people are scared to go outside just for the fact that they could be killed, which, as you can realize, is not something people need right now especially with the COVID pandemic bringing so much pressure on families, households, and really everyone, I mean, people. I mean, just imagine, you're going on a date with your significant other on a peaceful Tuesday afternoon, and a few minutes after you arrive, you're shot dead. I cannot stress enough how traumatizing this was and is to everyone, especially those that are Asian American. In the end, Eight people were killed at three massage parlors in Atlanta. One of the three spas was in a small town called Ackworth, just outside of Atlanta, and the other two were quite central and close to each other. The person who did this identified as Robert Aaron Long, a 21-year-old man who decided to commit the crime and then admit to it later that day. So. The thing that we get from this is that we've finally gotten a thunderstorm after seeing this dark, dark cloud for many, many months now. For me, it started uh, back in Manhattan's Chinatown last month. There was a Chinese man who was walking home one evening, and then he was stabbed, out of nowhere, unprovoked. The person who did this was a young man from Yemen. And immediately, this attack prompted many more sorts of rampages on the Asian-American community. Police say that the man from Yemen said, I didn't like the way he looked at me. And so the Asian-Americans 
took this to mean that race was involved in this. And so, ultimately, he was charged with a very, very serious felony. He was charged with attempted murder, but it is not classified as a hate crime. And so, that decision was the match that needed to be lighted for the, for the protests to start. They said that they felt like they were being totally overlooked by prosecutors. And this is all Asian American uh, important political party members um, said that they felt like they were being totally overlooked by prosecutors and that this decision really just epitomized the whole law enforcement department's attitude and how they were handling hate crimes when the victims were Asian. So this triggered a huge well, a, a huge surge of opinion on what qualifies as anti-Asian bias. And that's what we've been trying to uncover. So, prosecutors believe that the attacker never actually saw the victim's face because he had run up and stabbed him from the back, even though he told the police, I didn't like the way he looked at me, which is totally, I guess, against the point of what they're saying here. When reporters went to interview his family members, they all said that he had never talked about hating or having any sort of dislike towards Asians. Witnesses say that they didn't hear him say any type of racial slur during the attack, so I don't think that the prosecutors were wrong, but siding with them, we just didn't have enough to go off to say that this was an anti-Asian hate crime. So, in New York City, we saw a sharp increase in the number of anti-Asian hate crimes this year. So, 2019, there were three, and then in 2020, 28. And yes, these are seen explicitly seen as anti-Asian hate crimes. So, to give you an idea of what that is, see somebody punches an Asian person in the face and then says, China virus. That's a hate crime. Now, things like that have been provoked, like, for example, former President Mr. Trump calling the pandemic the China virus. That's just a total insult to the community and is definitely going to provoke protests. Even in these past few weeks on the subway, we've heard about Asian Americans getting called racial slurs and being verbally harassed on the metro. So that is where it gets to start to get more difficult for Asian Americans. Because there are no widely recognized signs of hate, like, for example, a noose or iron cross is, we know that if something like this was a recognized characteristic of hate towards Asian American people specifically, that would really lighten up everything significantly and give us an answer to whether this is or isn't a hate crime. But that raises the question, are all hate crimes inevitably hard to prove? In such situations, we can't really say anything because we know that the bar for evidence has been and still is very high. But something like, again, referring to Mr. Trump calling the pandemic the China virus or the Kung flu, we see that being parroted on the streets in most or if not all attacks and unfortunately the pandemic has become so 
racialized that it's attracted all this attention to attacks on Asian Americans. And people have been using language that we've not really seen in recent history. So we can't really tell, again, whether Asians were just at the wrong place in the wrong time, or whether these hate crimes were specifically planned and targeted and at these people, basically. And unfortunately, this is not a new thing that we're seeing now. We've seen over and over again in U.S. history Asian Americans being scapegoated and blamed during national crises. It started uh, mainly in the late 1800s when Chinese laborers came to America, specifically California, West Coast. Uh, one of the first major incidents of anti-Asian violence was in 1870. There was a terrible riot in Chinatown in LA where several Chinese people were killed. Then one thing led to another, leading to the Chinese Exclusion Act, which banned Chinese immigration to the US. We saw this happen around World War II, again repeating itself. Soon after the enemy strike on Pearl Harbor, the Japanese living along the west coast were quickly moved inland, away from critical defense areas. Then the internment of Japanese Americans. 2,000 men, women, and children, two-thirds of the evacuees are American citizens by right of birth. We are setting a standard for the rest of the world in the treatment of people who may have loyalties to an enemy nation. Then they were painted as a threat to national security. Protecting ourselves without violating the principles of Christian decency. We won't change this And these really are government-sponsored acts of discrimination against Asian Americans. I mean, the, the Chinese Exclusion Act, the Japanese internment camps. It is literally the U.S. government not caring about this. And not too many decades ago, too. We see this happen exactly in that major moment in the 1980s of an American of Chinese heritage in Detroit. He was beaten to death by two white men who thought he was Japanese. The Ebens and Michael Nix got $3,000 fines and three years probation, even though they admitted clubbing Chin to death with a baseball bat in Miss McDonald's parking lot. We'll be back in a second. Your source for all news, articles, and topics is only one click away. The Weekly Blink was made for people like you to be able to get whatever you need to know from the articles into your head. The Weekly Blink offers amazing, top-tier journalism coverage and many different ways of reading or listening like you're doing now. 
read for free without the hassle of needing to scroll through many random articles. It's all organized for you. Visit the link in the podcast description and get your free subscription. So all of this was really just a galvanizing moment for Asian Americans because of this long history of hate towards them. Now, with this, it really just makes such a terrible combination. And so, really, even if this doesn't count as a hate crime, in the minds of Asians, it is. And this was the backdrop of how we were going into the pandemic leading up to this. Again, we've finally gotten deep enough to not be able to see the tip of the iceberg anymore. And we're starting to drown inside these deep waters we've just stepped into. Let's move on onto how the news of the shooting affected social media, because people couldn't help to feel that the question of what motivated this was absolutely instantaneous. The New York Times, when it reported it, almost immediately raised the possibility that this was motivated by anti-Asian bias. Hey guys, it's been a little while, but I'm sure you know what I'm here to talk about today. Immediately, so many Asian Americans went to Twitter. Today, I feel grief and rage. It is a hate crime. When you kill eight Asian women, it's a hate crime. On social media. Innocent immigrants working minimum wage just lost their lives because their skin color is beige. Sort of. And people were already jumping to conclusions about this being a hate crime forcing herd motivation to all media outlets to call this a hate crime. This is terrorism, and this is a hate crime. Stop killing us. And I think the first few hours were really just very confusing. I mean, people were trying to make sense of what was happening and figure out exactly what was motivating this. I'm angry, I'm tired, I'm heartbroken. Stop Asian hate. I think what added to the fear uh, of all of this was that police were going to be adding more patrol in cities, neighborhoods, and, and streets with large Asian American communities, meaning that they did think that something like this could happen again. So law enforcement is digging and beginning to dig deeper into this case. And they will, at one point, end up finding what was motivating this attack. Madam Mayor. They talked at a press conference on Wednesday. Uh, I know that many, we've received a number of calls about, is this a hate crime? We are still early in this investigation. Uh, So we cannot make that determination at this moment. And that so far, it seemed like the attack was not racially motivated. Yeah, let me go into a little bit of detail. So... The suspect did uh, take responsibility for the shootings. And uh, it appears like he was having some issues in his life back then, and that he may have been a regular customer at these businesses. So the whole thing is still very early in developing and developing and confusing, really. And I think that this really gets to the heart of whether this is racial or not. The other factor we have to take into account is that seven of the victims were women, which could also be a factor. But unfortunately, it's just too soon to tell whether anything is or isn't racially motivated. And that's not an answer people want to hear right now. 
So the worrying thing about this is that if at the end of this we come out with no signs that this is a hate crime, how will people react? I mean, the US government right now isn't doing much other than President Biden's speech yesterday on the topic, but other than that, they've really been off the point right now. Of course, it's only the beginning of the the whole case, but hopefully we'll see to start we'll see some changes start to happen quickly in the right direction. So, I think that to say that Asian Americans are feeling targeted is true and that when and if they are being verbally harassed on the subway, there is something racial going on there, even if they might not be able to articulate the feeling that they're feeling at that moment, they are feeling harassed. And that in itself, that is the essence of what's going on here. The kettle's boiled for long enough, and we're starting to hear its whistle, which is a sound that we're hearing now from the Asian American community. But we also have this retaliation, because people can't decide whether they're being overly sensitive or whether this is a real problem. So they can't decide whether to act out on if it is racial or not. I think that now, with the last shooting, it really lit a flame that's not going to be unlit for some time now. And we really need to be, we really need to let it just burn. Asian Americans are getting the feeling that they are being overlooked and are definitely not going to give up so easily. As for the shooter, whether he is charged with his crime being a hate crime or not, he will receive a very, very serious and harsh penalty. And I think that a hate crime really epitomizes the sentence learn from your mistakes because because of the severity of the punishment, which goes to show, like, hey, look, if you're going to do this, don't because you'll end up like this guy. And I think that unless someone really wants to spend the rest of their life in prison, they wouldn't. In the minds of Asian Americans, it is a hate crime. And hopefully with enough proof, the correct decision will be made. On Wednesday, the suspected shooter was charged with eight counts of murder. The names that have been released by authorities of the victims are Delena Ashley Yon, Xai Jie Tan, Dao Yu Feng, and Paul Andre Michaels. So here's what you need to know about the week. Obviously, the Atlanta shooting that we've already talked about, but let's start off in world news. President Biden called President Vladimir V. Putin a killer, and in return, President Putin wished President Biden good health, which morphed into an exchange of transatlantic fury. He later also said that Putin is going to pay for Russian interference in the 2020 election, which we'll talk about in a minute. And this was really like throwing oil on a blazing inferno. At the White House on Thursday, Jem Psaki, the press secretary, when asked if Mr. Biden regretted his un- undiplomatic characterization of Mr. Putin, said, Nope, the president gave a direct answer to a direct question, Ms. Psaki again said. Ms. Psaki also repeated that the sanctions and other actions against Russia are coming in weeks, not months. Again, she also said that there are a range of other tools at the disposal of any president, seen and unseen, and we're not going to get ahead of the process of what considerations are underway. 
On the Kremlin side, Mr. Biden's interview offered a fresh opportunity to highlight its confrontation with the West for its home audience. Polls show that Russian Russians remain far more likely to trust Mr. Putin than any other political leader on foreign policy. Next, we also have the confirmation from the U.S. intelligence agencies that Russia tried uh, to interfere in the 2020 U.S. elections, just like it did in 2016. Even though Russia has publicly said that they have not done this, it remains confirmed by the U.S. intelligence, but everything seems to still be in a misty situation. Moreover, there are also reports that China, who was previously thought to be expanding its U.S. influence efforts, did not operate on the outcome of the Trump-Biden election, as well as news that Iran may have been involved in the election too. As well as Russia and Iran, investigations say that Lebanese intelligence and Cuban intelligence was also involved in the election, but on a smaller scale. But again, these are all from the CIA and FBI, but that does not mean that everything is true. Everything right now is in a very misty state, and until we have more proof like in 2016, we won't be able to make any real, true statements on whether these are or aren't, on whether or not these investigations are true. Moving on to US news, in many cities, police are continuing to mishandle the Black Lives Matter protests. Protesters have continued to gather in Atlanta to hashtag stop Asian hate on Instagram. Moreover, in New York, Cuomo continues to become more and more controversial with the US intelligence and people. We also had a very interesting lady called Betty Diamond who gave back a library book after 63 years of keeping it. She grew up to the library in Queens and later became a literature professor in Wisconsin, where she lives now. The book was called Old Paul and was written by Glenn Rounds. A few points on science now. President Biden nominated former Florida senator to lead NASA, and speculators say that the NASA's Artemis program might be the last time it will build its own rocket. With SpaceX taking over mass production of spacecraft and Blue Origin also gaining traction, it's unlikely that we'll see NASA build another rocket after the Artemis program's ends. NASA also had two tests of its giant moon rocket, which was a giant success. More on space, though, we have confirmed that there was water on Mars, that it had vanished a long time ago, but we may know where it went. It seems that most of the water is still there, just locked up in rocks. Of course, we have no proof of this yet, but if true, this could mean that there was and might even be some type of life form on Mars, which would be a giant step in becoming a smarter and more interplanetary species. As well as this, a new glowing shark species was discovered in New Zealand. It was the largest lantern shark, the Latias leecha, or what the new shark is called, the kitefin shark, that glows during the night in a bright blue light. Scientists managed to grow mouse embryos in an artificial womb too, which at day 11 failed because of the lack of a blood supply. But Dr. Hannah, the leader of the experiment, said that getting past that hurdle is the next goal. 
The work is a breakthrough, though, and if working soon, can give a new option to infertile couples that would usually need a surrogate. Now for COVID. In the United States, we have 54,620 new cases, which is a 9% decrease since two weeks ago, and a shocking 773 deaths, which is a 40% decrease. In Canada, cases continue to rise to 2,447, which is a 22% increase, and only 26 deaths, which is a 17% decrease. We have seven approved vaccines approved for full use and further 98 in testings, as well as six that are in early or limited use. We've also abandoned four vaccines, which is not a good sign as that can be coming to six following in the next week. Now for worldwide cases. Europe continues to be a hotspot for COVID, as well as Central and Eastern South America. We have 122.7 million total cases in the world and 404,518 on March 20th. 2.7 million deaths as well as 7,657 just yesterday. Belgium and Portugal have had huge spikes in cases but have slowly gone down. Most cases are from Central to East Coast America. That's it for Blink 2.0. I'm Jade Maroon. See you next week.